One out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. to autographs this is episode 11 i'm tom alterzuski and tonight i'm joined by joe douglas and justin viver how are you doing guys good great tom cool well uh, this week we wanted to talk about trades a little bit we teased this a little at the end of last week and actually it turned out that um just last night justin and i made a trade that's extremely relevant to this discussion so what we were thinking we'd do is um talk about this specific trade a little bit and then Talk about how it can apply to general situations. So if you're looking at making a deal, there are some lessons that you can learn, either what to do or what not to do, some people in Champions League might say. Um, so first, I'm just going to read through this trade. I'll post a link to it in the article as well. And then we can talk about some of the issues that are at play here. Uh, if you look, you'll see I'm Greg Burned, uh, and I trade Jason Hamill, $7, Giancarlo Stanton, $60, Matt Holiday at 21 Brian McCann at 11 and Trevor Rosenthal at 15. So all players that you'd be buying if you're in contention. And then Justin's team is Chicago Wales. And he traded me Gerardo Parra at $4, Lance Lynn at $1, David Peralta at 8 Will Smith at 3 and Ian Happ at 3 And if you see at the bottom, this league includes the uh, 5 MILB minor league player system, uh, which we can explain a little bit. Uh, but you'll see that Justin traded me Javier Guerra, Dylan Cease, and Eloy Jimenez, and I sent him back Cole Stewart. So uh, the first thing that I think uh, we could talk about is really just how do you start a negotiation at all? So if you're a team that's either looking to sell or looking to buy, you know, how do you get in touch with another team? If you're a longtime player, I'm sure you know this, but for anybody who is maybe a little more new to Adenu or who maybe is playing in a league with people that you're not as familiar with, uh, how would you get started? So maybe, Justin, um, how would you go about that? I know if you're approaching me, we've had a long rapport, but say if you were approaching a team that maybe you don't have as much of a rapport with. Yeah, I mean, this question came up in uh, Slack the other day, too, um, about how to how to start a dialogue and how to how to make a trade offer and get a reasonable counter offer and how to how to kind of engage in that back and forth, because it's very rare you're going to make an offer and it's just like, yep, it's accepted right away. Um and my answer then is the same as what I'm going to give right now, which is I play in a lot of different leagues. Um, I play in a lot of different leagues that have a lot of uh, unique um, makeups of owners. Um, I play in the Champions League. I play in a couple other leagues with a lot of the same owners that are in the Champions League that are active on Slack, um, you know, fellow Rotographs writers. So I have some, a good collection of leagues that everyone is is very competitive. Everybody's very engaged. Um, and it's a different... It's, it's a definitely a different uh, situation to communicate with those types of owners than it would be in another league where maybe I don't know the guys so well. Um, a lot of the guys aren't very active and they're not on Slack. Um, in a league like that, and let's say you're in a league and you don't really know any other guys, it's like a public league that you took over an abandoned team or something. Um, the first thing I would do is send them a message. There's a message system right built into the Autonew site. 
Um, I would send them a message and say, hey, I like uh, this player, this player, and this player. Um, I'd be interested in acquiring them. What would you want in return? Um, sometimes you may not get a response to that because a lot of people really want you to kind of put a little bit more of a firm offer out there. Like, I want those guys, but I'm also willing to give you these players for them. I like to leave it a little bit more open-ended when I when I have the first contact with an owner and just tell them, like, hey, up front, these are the guys I like. Look at my team, let me know who you like, and then maybe we can match up. Um, that's what I would do in a, in a league that I don't really know. Maybe I don't know the owners quite so well. Um, the other thing you could do, and I, I do this myself, is I do occasionally just make an unsolicited offer. And, and, and usually at the same time, I'll put a comment, hey, these are the guys I'm interested in. This is kind of what I was thinking. Let me know if this works. We can, we can, you know, tweak the, the parameters of the deal. Um, in, in the more experienced leagues, like the Champs League, uh, like in Brinksmanship that, that Joe and, and I are in with, with Trey, um, and then Tom and myself and Trey are in Champs. With that, we, we do a lot of communication on Slack. It's a lot of, um, you know, send a guy a message, a direct message. And I got to say, like, it's more fun because you really get to have that dialogue. You get to pretend you're a GM. Okay, hold on. Talk to my secretary, you know. Um, <laughs> we have secretaries? <laughs> yeah. I, well, sometimes it feels like we should. <laughs> Justin needs one. <laughs> um, but there's a lot. Like those trade negotiations, like Tom and I had a back and forth about this specific trade. I, I want to say it goes back to about a month ago. You know, so – and I feel like I've had a lot of other conversations in that league and in those similar um, competitive leagues that I'm in. And a lot of times it doesn't go anywhere. But at least having that communication, everybody kind of knows where everyone stands about certain players. It's useful to get that information. So if I'm looking to reach out and to make a trade, like I said, in a more casual league, in the leagues that maybe there's a little less activity, it's a little harder to get in touch with people, I will send them a message through Otnu or I will send them an offer and kind of say, here are the guys that I want. Let me know if this works or that we can tweak this. Can I jump um, in on that? Of course, yeah. Okay, so I, I completely agree with the uh, leagues that are probably not as established. One of the things that I would say is send a message and send an offer. Um, and I think the reason for that is because sometimes it's easy to see an email saying you have a message and just like, like okay, I'll check that whenever I get the chance. Um, right. But if you send a message and an offer, they're going to get two notifications. The other thing that I will do if because so, I suspect that sometimes people might have message message notifications turned off yeah. um, is I will send a trade offer with all of the players that I want in it and just send a note saying, Hey, this is the list of players I'm interested in because everyone, at least my knowledge gets a notification when a trade is proposed. I like that too, because then it's um, sometimes it's tough to make a cold offer. You don't know if they're going to like it and surprise you and accept it or if they're going to hate it. So by doing that, you kind of send a little more abstract offer and you just say, these are the guys I like. And you know that they're not going to get offended if it was a bad offer. They're going to look at that and say, okay, maybe I could work at a deal now that this has come to my attention. Yes, and I think that that's kind of what I'm going for. Um, but on the other hand, um, one of the – and I guess just speaking from someone who's been on the other side of it, I don't like um, – and you guys would probably agree with this when someone's like, hey, I like this player on your team. Propose me an offer for – like where they want you to propose them an offer for a player that – that they want yeah um it for me like if you want a player always make the offer like just make the offer if you don't like it or like don't like doing that then too bad <laughs> i just feel like that's like really poor etiquette and i uh i do think that there's scenarios where you can have a conversation but i think having a conversation and saying hey like i like these players who do you like 
is a little bit different than saying, I like this player on your team, send me an offer for them. Um, and, and I, ha- and I have seen some of that in leagues that aren't nearly as upfront. Um, I guess to go back to your point, Justin, uh, not specifically with this trading question, but even looking at the trade that we made in Brinksmanship where we sent, where you sent us Mike Trout, um, I do think that it's helpful with any of us that like we have that form of relationship where you can just message a person and be like, Hey, what do you want for that? And like have that type of discussion, um, as opposed to like sending a message and then waiting a week to hear back. Um, and I think for us, one of the things that was big and maybe we want to talk about this is, um, like I knew that you liked Domingo Santana in that league and I like him as well, but I, I put him on the table specifically because I'm like, okay, like I know that this is Justin's guy. If I put him on the table, I can kind of entice him enough to like have a discussion instead of just being like, Oh, would you like these players? Um, So those are a couple different, I guess, strategies that I tend to take. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. I'm when it comes to the, um, you know, you, you take the initiative. If you want a player, then you should be the one to reach out and make the offer. I agree with that. Um, I think my, my strategy usually is to always be upfront with another owner to let them know who I like. Um, because then to me, when I'm, when I'm going back and forth in a negotiation and, and the other owner starts adding in names and it's like, I, I don't like any of those guys. Like you, you can try to convince me that, oh, but he's a really great, pitcher and he's going to break out and it's like it doesn't matter i don't like him and i mean i'm not going to change my mind because you convinced me i already have my mind set up you know made up whether i'm right or wrong or whether i'm you know whether that that other owner has a point um so that's why i like to, to kind of be upfront and say okay here are the guys i like because these are the guys basically i'm just telling you right away these are the guys as joe said that are going to entice me to have a conversation. You you bring those guys up into the conversation, then I'm going to be interested in anybody else. Basically, I don't care. So that's my strategy as far as, because I want to, I mean, I don't have a lot of time. You know, with as many leagues as I have, I'd prefer not to negotiate a really long time because I just don't have the time to do that. I, I like to kind of cut, let's cut the, you know, you tell me that you want this guy, but you really want the other guy. And I tell you, well, I'm only going to give you my garbage. Let's cut all that out here. Here's who I'm willing to give up. Here's who I'm interested in. Uh, let's, let's cut to the chase a little bit. So, and I um, do think that that is definitely true from dealing with you, like in, in trade offers. Right. And I, I think that that is not the majority of owners. No, I'm sure it's not. And yeah, because like, it, so for anyone else, like in dealing with Justin, it's really, I like these five players. I don't like anyone else. <laughs> like, and, and that's it. Like, I, I've definitely felt Justin getting impatient at me too, because uh, especially the last month, I've been really busy and I haven't always replied very quickly. <laughs> and I would, I'd get Justin chiming in my inbox like, "Hey, you back? Hey, can we talk about this deal?" You know, Joe, I don't think you know this, but it got to a point where you can add, um, you can add RSS feeds to the different Slack channels, but you can also add an RSS feed to a private. DM channel. Oh, so and you're adding one to Tom? I added one about dinosaur news because I thought that might get him really interested in and in, in getting involved in the conversation and that didn't work. So I, I was pulling out all the stops to try to well, get him. Eventually to... it worked. It wore me down. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah, I, I guess my point was that um I do think a lot of times and Tom, you and I have played together probably well, certainly longer than I've played with Justin. Um I know that I have definitely been accused of like proposing a deal um, or like having a trade go through and having people be like, Oh, like that's way too one-sided or whatever. Um, I, one of the other things that I try to do is 
to be like blissfully agnostic about player values in trade <laughs> negotiation. Um, where you're really just trying to find out what someone else wants. And like, I will certainly have my own opinion as to whether or not that is a good trade for that owner. But I really don't care um, if it is or isn't. I care that they get what they want, you know, and if they get what they want and it's a terrible trade for them, like I'm not going to tell them that I think that they're incorrect because I don't want to assume that like my values are right and theirs are wrong. It's just basically like, oh, there's this match. I like this player. You like this player. And like, who cares if I feel like I ended up way ahead? I yeah, guess. I think that's actually a, a good point in general, you know, even going beyond just a good or bad trade. Mm-hmm. I think that really kind of gets to the core of, you know, how do you determine what is going to work? Because it has to be something that both of you want. I know when I've talked to Joe Katz a lot, who plays in the Champs League with us, we've kind of had that same conversation where we'll say, okay, you know, it seems like you really like this guy and I don't really like him that much. So you know, maybe that's the guy that makes this deal work. And we'll kind of acknowledge that we do value a guy differently. And that's really where a trade comes from. That mm-hmm. You're trying to each get the players that you like more and you don't need to judge the other guy. If they like a, a player kind of different than you do, yeah. that might actually help you. Well, I think it, and I say this recognizing that it, especially earlier, like I had a reputation for pulling off really insane trades, but I don't I feel like in some ways it's almost more of a jerk move to assume that like, Hey, my values are right. And because you don't agree with my values, like, <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does make sense. And 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 I think um you know, I may be set in the certain players that I like and that I don't like, but it's always a from a my subjective point of view, you know, yeah, I don't oh, like exactly. these players. Um and and the other but the other part of that is true as well is is you know, don't assume your values are right, but also don't assume that another owner is going to see the value in a player that you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've had owners try to convince me um Oh, but this guy's really great. And it's like, well, look, if he was that great, you wouldn't be trying to trade him to me. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I wouldn't be questioning his his value. And and sometimes, it, you know, I'm wrong about guys. I am totally wrong about guys. And and I've had an opportunity to trade for a player and he broke out. And I said, you know what? That other guy was right. I should have taken him. But that's that's why we all make the, the, the decisions that we do on our fantasy teams. We decide who we like, who we want to own, you know, who we want to add as a free agent, who we want to trade for. Um, sometimes we do that with the best information we have. And sometimes we do that just because we want to own a certain guy. Um, and you never know when another owner is going to be like that. They just wanted this, this player and they, they're going to be irrational about overspending, you know, in theory, uh, whatever that means and overspending to get a particular player. Cause that happens too. Like you, you know, with I, any I, cub? No. <laughs> See, and that's the thing. People think that just because it's a cub, I'm going to go crazy for them, but I won't. Well, that was very contentious in our deal. I was trying yeah. to take all Justin's I'm kidding, cups. Of course. Uh, no, and, and, but that's the thing. You you have to, you can definitely tell. And now it, I want to circle back to the point that you made, Joe, about, you know, being aware of making a deal and making an offer that actually works for the other owner. Um, you know, if, if they have a trade block and they say, you know, I want, I have outfield depth and I need a starting pitcher. Don't offer them a trade where you're getting a pitcher and giving them an outfielder, okay? Because then you're just completely ignoring what they needed. They already have more outfielders than they need. They need a pitcher, and all you're going to do is frustrate those negotiations by by making that sort of deal. But then, on the other hand, you say, okay, well, they have outfielders. They're looking for for starting pitchers. Maybe you know they'd be willing to give up a fifteen dollar outfielder to get a ten dollar starting pitcher. That makes sense for you because you're getting more value. It makes sense for them because they have a positional weakness and they have depth somewhere else. And you know the marginal difference for them 
isn't as big a deal. And that's why trades happen. I mean, that's exactly why trades happen because, you know, I don't value a guy as much. It may not be that I don't value him inherently as much. It's just maybe that I have, you know, I have 12 outfielders. I don't need 12 outfielders and I really need pitching. So, you know, that's how those deals sometimes come together. One, uh, one of the other things that I do, and this is one of the things that I guess I struggle with is that like if someone proposes me a deal. So for example, um, I, someone made an offer on my Chris Bryant, but they also included, I had a $1 Robbie Erlin, like right at the beginning of the year. And I had a $7 Scott Casimir. Um, and I think I was getting Strasburg, Tyler White, and some other people. And um, I did not know that in this offer, the owner had no interest in Casimir or Erlin. He was just trying to even out yeah. the number of players. Okay. But for me, if I look at that, I would say, okay, well, I'm not going to trade Bryant, but like, if you want Casimir or Erlin, I will certainly trade them to you because I don't care if I own those players, you know, right. like, um, so and I think that kind of became a point of contention too, where the owner was basically like, why would you propose me a trade for these guys? And it's like, well, I propose to trade for them because you expressed you, an interest in them. <laughs> you, you included them in an offer. Right. So I'm, and again, I, my, if I had to like put on my thinking cap and like really guess, I would say that they probably weren't too interested in those players. But again, I've had specific occurrences where I think that someone really isn't interested in a player, and then it ends up that they were, and I'm like, man, I really should have dealt it to that, dealt him to yeah. that team. Um, so I really try to like kind of remove my that my values in the sense of like, is this deal 100% fair as far as like points going both ways or whatever um, from the equation, and just kind of say, hey, look, this is what you want, and like, I'm happy to give it to you. So. I think that's where uh, like the idea of communication versus just yeah. making a blind offer comes into, you know, I think either one will be better depending on the situation. So sometimes if you get an offer and you think, oh, that kind of doesn't make sense. Maybe that is the time that you then send the other owner a message back and just say, you know, hey, I saw your offer. I wouldn't do X, Y and Z, but let me know what you're looking for. Maybe we can work something out. And it doesn't need to just be a series of offers. Whereas sometimes if you think you have a deal that'll just work right there, you can just offer it back. Really kind of depends on how you read the situation and, and if you know that other owner, like what their personality is and how yeah. they prefer to deal. Can, can we actually talk about the trade that you guys put through? Because I know that that was discussed. And as much as we've talked about tactics, we really haven't talked about that deal specifically. Yeah. Maybe, Justin, if you don't mind, I'll um, go ahead and kind of give sure. a little bit of the history of this. And real quick. Can we can we preface this by saying let's keep this portion a little short just because I know that not everyone wants to hear about our fantasy teams. Well, and then we'll we'll get to some okay. ideas that come off of this trade. But just just about the history a little bit. In the Champions League, I'm selling this year. I had a lot of injuries early on to uh guys like Johnny Peralta, uh Shinsu Chu. So, I for the second straight year I'm selling uh, and I had Giancarlo Stanton at $60 who is pretty much a classic selling piece. I probably wouldn't be looking at keeping him at 60. So I kind of put out a feeler saying, hey, anybody interested, I'm selling. Um, everybody was interested in Stanton, of course. So I started shopping him a little bit to different teams. Uh, I actually got offers from, I think, like six or seven different teams. Some of them were not anywhere near what I was looking for. And then a couple, including Justin's, were more in the ballpark. And this is going back, like Justin said, even about a month ago, I was already talking with some owners. And then over the course of that time, uh, a few of those owners got weeded out. Justin and I started talking a little more and uh, we started doing what I think happens in a lot of deals. We kind of had the framework down that it was going to be a Stanton for a couple guys. We were talking about Para, Peralta, Will Smith. 
And then over time, we're kind of debating back and forth, like, well, if you send this guy, I'll send this guy. Um, in this case, it ended up growing into a bigger deal, as we would say, well, if you send me uh, David Peralta, I'm willing to throw in some other guys. And then Justin would go back and say, OK, well, I'll throw in this guy, but I would need two guys back. And it grew into something where we found the right fit, uh, as opposed to sometimes you'll have those conversations and you'll narrow it down to be more like, OK, why don't we do just Stanton for just a couple players? May I interject real quick? Yeah. Okay, so the original framework then, and this is just how I read it because I'm not involved in the deal, so you guys can confirm, deny, or say whatever you want. But I read it as it's basically Stanton for Para and Peralta. Yeah, that was kind of one of the first points that we talked about was Stanton and then either Para or Peralta, and then eventually grew that both of them would be included. That that was my impression was that, because I look at it, I'm like, okay, well, Peralta's the piece I would want and Stanton's the other guy, and then... Hamill, Holiday, McCann, Rosenthal are all parts that I would not be keeping at those prices, and or I doubt I would be keeping, and that's where the rest of the deal came from. And that was my impression, but I wasn't... Yeah, Justin can confirm. I don't know if he sees it exactly this way, but that's very much how I see it, that I was trying to sell Stanton, and then kind of over time it worked out that I could get back more parts, and I would be including some guys that really were not critical to my rebuilding plan which is how it grew into this bigger deal. And the same goes for some of those minor league players. Um, Anyone who plays in the Champs League or who has followed it a little bit knows that my strategy with the minor league squad has been to keep it as full as possible because I think basically all those guys are lottery tickets. I want to have as many lottery tickets as I can. So anytime I've been doing a deal like this, I look for places to add those players, especially a couple of high upside guys uh, like Jimenez, especially um, who I'm obviously not going to get anything from him this year or next year. Uh, but I could get something from him eventually, either from him getting promoted to my team or if he turns into a trade ship that I could then flip in the future. Yeah, and I was just going to I was going to jump in with was sort of my my frame of mind while while working on this deal. Um, I've been kind of floating around third or fourth right now in champs. Um, I finished fourth last year. I kind of pushed all in and fell short and. You know, I've been thinking this this over the last three or four weeks, like, do I want to do that again? Do I want to give up every single future bullet I have to make a push and then I fall short? Um, I wasn't sure I did. I've actually been floating out. I own Mike Trout in this league. Uh, I own Matt Harvey and John Lester and Freddie Freeman. So I've kind of had them on my block as, you know, I'm not really looking to move these guys, but like if, if there's a market for them, somebody could convince me to sell. And I think I even posted something on our um Champions League private channel on Slack to say, look, if you want to you want to buy um, players and you also want to knock out one of your competitors, I could be motivated to make a deal like that. Um, and that was all happening basically right around the same time that, that Tom and I were having a back and forth about Stanton. And for me, it really came down to I was only going to make a deal like this if I thought that it gave me enough ammunition to really have a chance this year. Um, I wasn't interested in just Stanton. I really desperately needed pitching. Um, and as unexciting as Jason Hamill is, he's better than my fifth or sixth option right now. It's starting pitcher in that league. Um, and my relievers are not very good either. I don't have a single closer. So getting Rosenthal was really, I mean, that was as much the key as, as Stanton was to be perfectly honest. I mean, I wanted Stanton obviously because he's, um, you know, he makes such a big difference. Um, but, and I knew I would have to move Parra and Peralta. So if I'm moving those guys, it made sense to get outfielders back. Um, but to me, it was just as important to get some of that pitching back because I have 
a very good offense right now, but I am very, very short at, at pitching. Um, so it was really important for me to get that. And, and once it got to a point where it seemed like Tom was, was interested in the framework, it was just, as, as he said, it was just about ironing out the pieces going back and forth. Um, and for a while, I wasn't really willing to talk Peralta with anybody because I thought he was by far my best keeper. Um, but when it, when it came to, you know, the, the amount of talent I was getting in this deal, I was like, okay, fine. Peralta is definitely, I'm not going to make this deal, uh, not happen just because I'm being stubborn about David Peralta. Um, somebody in the champs league had asked about, you know, whether the injury that he has right now came up at all in the negotiations between Tom and I, and honestly it didn't. Um, I don't know if Tom, yeah, I don't think we mentioned it once <laughs> to be perfectly honest from my perspective. I knew he'd been out. Obviously he's on my team and I haven't been playing him because he's been out with this, this wrist injury. Um, but the last I knew they had done tests and everything was fine and they were just resting him. So I didn't, I, to me, it was a non-issue. Um, now, he just went on the DL probably an hour after we consummated this trade today. So uh, it kind of made for some interesting timing. But um, even with a guy like that, it is a wrist injury. You don't you don't love the fact that it's a wrist injury. But I don't think this really this injury doesn't really affect the value that Tom's getting in this trade for Peralta because he doesn't care if Peralta misses 20, 20 games this year because he's not competing this year. Um, as long as this isn't an injury that's going to linger into next season or somehow have an effect that you know, lowers his value for the next season. Um, I don't, I don't believe that this, this sort of injury for Peralta right now is, is a big, is a big issue for uh, Tom's side of the deal. Now it, it could have played in if this injury had been a little more clear cut, it might've been a negotiating thing like, yeah, now I'm a little less interested in Peralta cause he's hurt. Um, but, but honestly it didn't come up because, and even if, if Tom had come back and said, Oh, Peralta's got a wrist thing. I would have downplayed it because as everything that I had read said that, yeah, he, they haven't found anything. He's just kind of, um, you know, he just needs some rest and they're giving him some time off. And I, I, I thought he was gonna be in a lineup today. And then all of a sudden he was, he was on the DL instead. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of felt the same there. And I think with wrist injuries too, people get worried about them sometimes, but it's, it's a big difference between, you know, this guy's going to have wrist surgery and miss the season. And this guy is out with a sore wrist for a couple weeks. Right. And, you and know, that's like a very big spread. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And they're calling it wrist inflammation. And like I said, they ran some tests and didn't find anything. So it, it doesn't seem to be a structural issue right now. It seems to be some sort of, a, you know, an inflammation or f- fatigue issue right now with his wrist. But, um, you know, it, it never came up. We didn't talk about it. Now, we didn't have, I think at that point, when we first started talking about Peralta, was a couple weeks ago. It was before he even had the injury. Um, so that's a lot of the reason that we really didn't factor into everything we kind of already agreed to the main framework and then it was just ironing out the other pieces so um yeah i would say um going back to what joe had asked we had really talked about para first and and i had been interested in peralta but i had honestly kind of figured you weren't going to want to trade him and then as the deal started to grow i came back and i said you know this is interesting to me but if it's going to get into this big amount of talent i think i would really need peralta back then when justin said yes to that that was kind of when we that was when I felt we started getting a lot closer to this deal is actually going to happen. You know, and, and I would say I knew that Tom liked Para. Tom has been pretty vocal about liking Para. I think we had discussed him in the offseason even. That's one downside to us doing a podcast and putting our feelings everywhere. Everybody knows who everyone else likes. <laughs> the same reason I traded you Domingo. <laughs> right. Well, and, and it's not, you know, that, but that's exactly it. You know that if somebody else is higher on a guy than you are, and that's exactly 
well, what facilitates a trade? Um, it's like, I will give you your shiny toy now. Right. At this point, it's almost helpful that we know, you know, we can get yeah. deals done because we know what to offer. I mean, if you're, in a, if you're in a league with Jed and you own Joe Ross, you should probably be reaching out to him. Well, I'm sure he's already reached out to you, um, you know, because you, you play with guys long enough. You, you get a sense of the kinds of players that they're they're high on and they might be willing to, to you know, trade a little bit extra for. So, so can um, I can I ask a jumping off question from this trade? Sure. Um, and this was something we had talked, we had mentioned uh, talking about tonight, and that's the idea of selling a single star or selling multiple stars together. Um, I know that. I think one of the critiques that was brought up was that you could have just sold Stanton and no one else, um, and then sold Holiday and, and sell them all separately. But if you did that, I'm assuming Justin would not have been involved, um, right? Because. And, but maybe there would have been someone else. Like I think uh, Chris Pryor in that league just recently traded uh, Cueto, correct? Yes, it was Cueto uh, for and, uh, Barrios and Jolito, I think. Yeah. Um, for so, yeah. So I think that's the case where you can see like selling a one-star player or star in air quotes um, instead of maybe packaging those guys. I guess my question to either of you, and not specifically with this trade, but just in general, is do you try to package those players together or do you try to separate the stars and deal them all separately like what's your typical like plan of attack i mean i could say is the the one that packaged some stars here honestly i think generally my strategy would be to sell a single player for exactly the reason you mentioned that you know depending on the offers i was getting say if i could have gotten a couple players for stanton and then go ahead and get a prospect for mccann and a prospect for holiday um in some situations i think you can get more back like that on the other hand i felt like in this situation number one i had talked to some owners and they had offered me you know just for stand or maybe for stanton and one other player and i was interested but just the more i talked to people it seemed like justin was kind of more serious and more interested in a deal that was players i like and also you know an amount of talent that i felt was fair you know other people were offering me uh manny margo i think kind of those um, not bad prospects, but they weren't really giving me what I wanted, which was MLB level talent and prospects who are close to MLB. You know, say like Ian Happ is pretty close. So he's someone that I'm hoping to get MLB value from, not trade chip value. Uh, so that was one thing that really played into this, that I was getting MLB talent from Justin and not just prospects. Um, the other thing that I felt, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, is sometimes I feel like you can get in a situation where you almost don't have enough roster spots to deal guys separately. So say if I had gone out and traded Stanton for three prospects, Holiday for two prospects, McCann for two prospects, I could get in a situation where I just don't have room for any of these players. And now I have 20 prospects on my team. I can't field a starting lineup. Um, and I can't even keep some of the guys, you know, that I've been trading for. I end up having to drop guys just to make space. So I felt like in this situation, just the more I looked at it, this made sense for me in this case, even though it was a little bit different than the strategy I would usually take. Justin, how do you feel kind of from the other side of this? Well, I mean, I'm, I, I will say that I'm not on the other side of it in, in other leagues because I have a couple other leagues where I came in as, as a rebuilding team and I have that sort of exact situation. You know, I own a, a Miggy Cabrera and, a you know, Justin Upton and it's sucked how slow he's been because I haven't been able to move him. But um, in general, I, I agree with, with, well, Joe was saying that um, I do try to sell those guys off one at a time. 
um, mostly because I do think that breaking that out into separate pieces, you get it, you can maximize your return. Um, I think there's this, I, I've been guilty of this as well. If I'm a buyer or I, excuse me, if I'm a seller, I will sometimes say, you know what? I don't mind chipping in a Matt Holiday or a, a Trevor Rosenthal because they're not helping me. And if it gets the deal done, fine. But sometimes I, I fall into a trap where I'm a little too willing to trade those guys that are really, they do have a, a talent. Um, they do have an impact for this season. And I'm more willing to add them in because they don't, they're not helping me. And I'm sort of ignoring the fact that, you know what? No, they are valuable. Even though they're not valuable to me, they are valuable in trying to, to make that distinction and constantly focus on, you know, right now I'm in last place. Stanton's not helping me. I know Stanton's valuable, but these sort of like mid-tier veteran guys, sometimes those guys are just as important and you you can get a return on those players. But um, this is another case, though, where it depends on your league. I mean, I'm in some of these leagues where I'm trying to sell. I made one deal and now everything's stagnant. I'm in one league. I haven't made a single deal and I'm rebuilding. And <clears throat> and and it's be, and it's because I haven't had an offer um, that I thought was good enough for me to move these guys, and I have the patience to know, you know what, I can wait until June, uh, I can wait until July, until the race really starts heating up, and there's more pressure on the buyers to make an impact deal, and they'll be a little more willing to to trade their really good surplus assets that right now they're holding on to because they think they can win and keep, you know, their young talent. Um, you know, so in, and in this particular case, I mean, I don't know what other offers Tom had and, you know, without knowing that it's hard to say what other, you know, what other, um, total package he could have received if he had split those guys up into two or three different trades. So if I, if I could just hop in there for a second, um, I think one thing that you hit on too is the idea of surplus assets. And, and one thing I've noticed in the champs league is that because it's a league that number one drafted fairly recently, this is only the second season and we're only a couple months in. Uh, and number two, it's a league of really high quality owners. Uh, I felt in a lot of places that there is not that much surplus available because, you know, we're pretty sharp about not letting other owners get a guy at a really reduced price. And that's something that impacts deals too. You know, if you're in a league where there's like $2 Joey Gallo's lying around and people have Chris Bryant for $15 you know, you can afford to go out there and really try and rake your opponent over the coals. Whereas in the Champs League, I felt like I had to be uh, to draw a little more distinction between where I was going to sneak some value out of this because a lot of the offers I were getting were good players, but not necessarily guys that offered me a ton of surplus value. That's one reason I was really interested um, in this offer, especially with Peralta, also with Lance Lynn at only one dollar. I felt like those were guys that would give me a place to get surplus in a league where it's pretty hard to acquire surplus. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I think um, kind of going back to the original question, my tendency is to sell the players individually. But one of the other things in this, I think you mentioned this, Justin, is that it can be really difficult. Um, you run into the roster crunch pretty quickly where when you sell a guy and you get three pieces back, well, then it's like, okay, well, now I'm going to have to cut three guys. And eventually you can kind of run into an issue with um, – not having enough roster spots for players you want to off, you want to roster. So one of the things that I like to be conscious of in the midst of that is I like to buy at the same point. Because typically what's going to happen is you're not just going to have one seller. You're probably going to have three or four teams that are also willing to sell. So if you can line up a deal where you say, look, I have these three assets that I like, but I can buy off one player from this other team who I know is selling. And I can also sell my Justin Upton or whoever uh, for two players that I like. 
you can kind of avoid that crunch. And that's one of the things that I've found myself doing specifically this year with one of my teams. Um, but I feel like it's almost a necessity um, to kind of attack it that way. Otherwise, you will end up with a situation where you have a whole team full of players that you like, um, but you're kind of stuck waiting for all of them to develop and you could easily run out of roster spots. Right. You don't want to end up like uh, in the situation in an ESPN league where if you trade one player for three and you have to drop two others, it's almost like you traded those players. They're part of the trade cost because you have to drop someone. Exactly. Yeah. And you can pretty easily avoid that in Adenu, but, you know, it's also easy to work yourself into a trap where you can't avoid it. And that's what you want to be careful of. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to touch on that real quick um, because I feel like it's something that is important to consider if you are selling. You know, the other thing I wanted to mention about that sort of those those unbalanced trades is um, you also see situations where you're not moving Stanton for three prospects. You're moving Stanton plus something up else for one player or two players because you're focusing on, you know, the the $10 Corey Seager or, you know, that that sort of equivalent, the, the $15 Miguel Sano, um, you know, because there's there's a couple different approaches. You can go after a trade where you're getting three or four guys. You're kind of spreading your risk. You're kind of as Tom said, that lottery ticket approach where you're just, you know, you're just trying to accumulate as many assets as possible, hoping that some of them go off and, and, and turn into those, those big surplus assets. The other approach is to really focus on the guys that right now are already in MLB. You're, you're really certain that they're, you know, 10 or $15 under costed right now. Um, so sometimes you can make a deal where you're, you're not getting three guys back. You're really only getting one guy back. And you're not facing that roster crunch. The difficult part there is those guys are a lot more difficult to come by. Um, I yeah, feel like I can actually confirm that in this case. Um, for one point, I, I think we were out of touch for three or four days. Uh, and part of it was because I was talking with Jed about $10 Michael Conforto. Yeah. And, you know, I really felt during that time if I could seal that deal, you know, that would be the ultimate return. I'd be getting a guy that was at the major league level but also addressing that issue of not having to bring back a lot of players because I'd be getting so much value in one player. And then eventually, uh, I think we were kind of close and Jed said, all right, I'll do it. Can we work out the details of other players? And then he came back and he said, look, I thought about it and I just don't think I can deal Conforto in this situation. And I said, okay, that's fair, but I'm going to have to move on to this offer with Justin that I think is going to work better. Um, but I, I totally agree there that it kind of played into our deal. That's why I was interested in guys like Peralta. And then, you know, with those other type of headliners, that is a kind of return that you can look for. And in this case, that almost happened. And then it just kind of fell through during the process. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, you, you get to a point where you have to, you have to gauge that market in your league. You know, I, I've seen many trades where you are able to get those guys. And just last year, um, there was some controversy in champs because Stanton was traded for Corey Seager. And it was before Corey Seager came up. So he was even less of a sort of a well-known asset at that point. Um, not that he wasn't still a top prospect, but it was really, it was basically a one for one, if I recall correctly. I think um, it was straight up. You know, and and the catch-22 there is sometimes you want to get that one asset that has, you know, like you said, the, the $10 Conforto would be an example of that, that, that one asset that's already in MLB and is going to provide some surplus value um, because that's, one of your best opportunities. That's that's kind of the highest percentage chance of getting a very good surplus asset. On the other hand, it's also a riskier thing to do because it's just one asset. If something happens with Conforto, then he's your entire return. You know, sometimes I like to have, I like to have a second or third guy that's a lottery ticket just to at least say, you know what, if if this primary guy doesn't work out, I have these other options. 
Um, you know, I made a trade earlier this year and I traded for Matt Harvey with, with Trey and I traded him Smiley and Joey Gallo. And I think I included Dylan Bundy and there was, I, there might've been an MLIB guy there in, in there as well. But it was one of those situations where I, I'm sure from his perspective, um, he was happy to get three or four different shots at potential talent. And it worked out for him because Smiley's been fantastic. And uh, I think Gallo's going to work out pretty well for him once he comes back from the injury. So um, Bundy didn't work out. I think he's already cut him. But at that point, it doesn't matter. He wasn't the key of the deal. He was just kind of a throw in that was just an opportunity for him to maybe have a lottery ticket that might turn into something. So um, well, and if you turn that around, you know, say if Gallo was still struggling, but Bundy had put it together, you know, there's a lot of different ways that could work out. Right. You know, so that's the argument for for getting multiple pieces is that you you maybe give yourself a better percentage chance of somebody hitting, um, but maybe the the chance that they hit big and really give you an, an enormous surplus asset isn't as good because um, they're not as good assets to begin with. But, uh, you know, sometimes you don't know. I mean, we make some of these deals and I know right now this particular trade, um, you know, the, the feedback right now is that it was not a good deal for Joe or for uh, Tom, I'm sorry. Um, it wasn't me but, who made the trade. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, some of these things, like we can say right now, we can evaluate the trade and say, yeah, I don't think this is great. Um, but sometimes these trades, they turn out and you're like, man, in hindsight, you know, at the time that, like I said, that Stanton for Seeker trade was was not well received by the league. Most people thought that, you know, Trey was able to steal Stanton, basically. Um, but Corey Seeger ended up being one of the one of the top surplus assets in, in Ottawa, you know, after he came right now, up and, now and if was, you look back, you say, I can't believe somebody got Corey Seager just for an overpriced Stanton. Right. You know, it looks totally opposite for, for a rental. Um, or at least it, it brings it more into a conversation of, yeah, that seems totally fair. You know, where at the time it didn't. And, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't always evaluate trades after the fact and, and justify a move that was made just because it worked out or just because it didn't work out. Um, I think that's a mistake as well. You can't just say, well, it worked out. So it must, my process was good. And it's like, no. Results is not the same as process. Having a good process is more important than having good results because if you have a good process, the results are going to come. Um, right. I was going to say the truth is somewhere in between. You want a good process, but the reason you have a good process is to try and get to good results. You know, if you have a team that constantly makes deals and you say, wow, he really, you know, he got a ton from that other team. I can't believe he made that trade. And then in the end, those deals keep not working out. Maybe you say that this guy, you know, has a talent for flashy deals, but he's not really uh, doing the legwork to analyze the talent. And he's kind of in the end letting other owners take advantage of him. Yeah, it could be. I mean, you know, and, and like the other situation you can have is you think your process is good. The results continue to be poor. Well, maybe your process wasn't as good as you thought it was. So, right. Exactly. Um, you know, that, that's that's one of the continual um, avenues of, of improvement is to say, you know what, I think my process is working, but the results so far have not been good. Is it just because of bad luck or is it because I need to change something and, uh, and improve my process and what I'm doing? So, and it's tough. I mean, I mean, trade making trades. I think it's by far the weakest part of my game is making oh, trades. Oh, me too. And, you know, I think it, it's the hardest part for a lot of owners. It you is. Know, regardless of if there are new owners or if they're experienced like us, it's just hard. I love making trades. I don't know about you guys. Well, I enjoy it. I enjoy the process. I enjoy the rush of seeing something accepted. But um, there's not a single trade I make that I don't go, oh, I really wish I hadn't traded that guy away. You know, I second guess almost every single move I make. And that's the emotional part of, of my game as a, as a auto new player. 
I'm very analytical in almost every other aspect when it comes to trades. I basically turn into, you know, a, a big bucket of goo. So. <laughs> okay. Well, was there anything else you guys wanted to touch on or uh, do you feel like we covered everything? The one thing that I thought was really interesting here, and this is going to cross over into a little bit of a plug for our minor league system that we use. Um, and I don't know uh, so much how other owners value the minor league players. I know we've seen some owners kind of flip them pretty willingly as trade chips. Um, but I feel like those minor league players really offer a different, um, not a different level of value, but kind of a different kind of value in Adenu. Because as we've discussed before, if you own a player on your regular roster, their price is going to rise every year, at least $1. If they make it to MLB, $2. And then on top of that, whatever anybody else arbitrates to them. And if you own, you know, an A-ball prospect, it's really hard to get that guy to your major league system and actually get value from him. Because if his price bleeds up every year, you know, sometimes you might bleed away all of his value before he ever makes it to the major leagues. So for me, I feel like these five MILB players are an opportunity to kind of subvert that system. Um, so in this deal, that was actually um, not even really the beginning of the deal, but as it got deeper, that was important to me to kind of bring back players that would supplement my minor league system. Because I feel like even if I don't bring them all the way to the major leagues and get them to my major league system at $1, I think they're going to be good trade chips. We've seen in the past couple seasons some pretty good players get shopped just for minor league players or maybe for like a major league return plus a five MILB. Um, so I think that's one thing that if anybody is looking at this deal from other leagues and kind of wondering, wow, what happened here? Um, I, I think that's an important part. And then I'm not saying this just to defend myself and try to make my trade look better. I think that's something that um, I think would be really interesting if more leagues adopted, because I feel like it's a really great addition to the current out of new rule book. Uh, and I know you guys, I don't know if you feel exactly the same way about the players, but I think the response in five thirty to this system has been really good. We've enjoyed playing under those rules. The only thing I would add to that is, is it was kind of alluded to already, but it's um, because of the makeup of the league. Uh, it, it can be difficult to get those, those really high surplus assets, or at least so far. I mean, it's very early in the, in the history of this league. Um, but this might be an Avenue where, where those five MLIB guys, that's really, you know, three or four years down the road, we might all realize that that was really the best way to find those future surplus assets is to to have those cost controlled uh, minor league players in your system that are shielded from arbitration and you know come in their their initial year as, at a dollar instead of you know we see a lot of these guys you know a guy like Moncada right now is probably a ten dollar guy in most leagues and um, you know we don't have that issue right now with with any of these guys in this system right now they're going to come up their first year at a dollar. Um, so I, that's the other contextual problem with the, or, or specific, uh, um, contextual issue with this league is, you know, there's not a lot of surplus assets. This might be the best way to get future surplus. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but it might be. Yeah. I was going to say that's, that's really the core of my argument that in a league where, as I said, it's really hard to acquire surplus value. Cause I think in a lot of cases, there isn't a lot of surplus value out there and what there is teams are really, um, stingy about giving up. And just like you said, I'm not sure that that's going to be right. You know, we're all kind of along for the ride. Um, but I think one thing we talk about in trades and in drafts is you kind of have to have a set of values and stick to them because you don't 100% know if your values are going to be right, but you have to stick to something. Otherwise, you're just firing blindly in different directions and changing your values. So that is one of the things that I've kind of 
set in as my values that I think those are players that are going to be worth it. And then when I negotiate, I keep that in mind that that's already part of my value set. And we'll see over time if that's right. But you need to have something to go off of to kind of help you judge moves according to your system. All right. Well, uh, sounds like we're uh, kind of reaching the end of this conversation, so we'll wrap it up. Uh, looks like we're at about 48 minutes here, <laughs> although, as usual, that may get a little shorter in the editing process. So uh, we'll wrap it up and we'll talk to you next week. Good night, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.